Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome to Profit First Nation, the podcast for the top 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leverage Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day and doing Profit First right. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacle stand in our way in pursuit of the three Ps passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies, and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. Most episodes of the podcast also feature segments with the world's most prolific author on entrepreneurship, the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, Clockwork, and his newest book, Fix This Next, Mike Michalowicz. As we prepare to dive into today's episode, I would like to address that Profit First Nation is a broad audience. From startups with 6,500 in annual sales to $10 million plus companies. While some of the topics covered and some of the stories shared may seem overwhelming to a startup with zero employees, We know you are on a path to permanent profitability since you are already a member of Profit First Nation. And the exciting news is that you will likely be able to grow and scale faster than you ever imagined because you are hearing literally what not to do well before you get to that point. These stories and cases of what not to do are featured on the podcast as what not to do stories because the owner's stories depicted and myself also represented in some of these knucklehead stories did things that we know now were not too bright. But it was literally because we did not know what we did not know back then. To our startup stage listeners, I hope you take some of these deeper dive episodes with a grain of salt that we want to prepare you for the road ahead in your entrepreneurial journey. When I was a member of YEO, when Y stood for young and I was in my 20s, when some of my fellow forum members would share stories from their businesses, I was often gobsmacked and thought to myself, well, that will never happen to me or my business. But lo and behold, weeks, months, or years later, that information and lessons learned from my fellow YEOers have definitely contributed to my growth and development as an entrepreneur who has been able to profitably scale multiple businesses. So to all of our listeners, thank you for subscribing to Profit First Nation. Thank you for sharing your stories and experiences. We are driven and determined to serve each and every one of you to help you profitably scale and stay on the path of permanent profitability.
Mike is kicking off the first segment in today's episode by addressing when and or should business owners ever be doing the bookkeeping in their business? And when is the right time to transition out of doing the bookkeeping? So take it away, Mike. There's a stage where we have to do things that are necessary. Like if if I'm just starting my business, uh, I make, my first year, I make $5,000 over the entire year. The business does not have the resources to bring on other people without going into debt. I, I can't even support myself off of $5,000 a year. And I might say I, I mean, I don't think any entrepreneur could. So it necessitates then that we do work because the business still needs, you can't ignore your bookkeeping. It's, it's necessary for understanding your business and it's ultimately necessary for compliance with tax law. So it still needs to be done. But at a certain point as your business grows, you become a detriment if you continue to do the necessary work yourself. Ultimately, we want to bring in skilled craftsmen. Like, I can, uh, I suspect I could run electrical wires through my house, connect it to uh, the, the junction box or the the fuse box, and 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 get a light bulb going. Um, there's a possibility I'll electrocute myself. It's highly likely. Uh, I may create a fire hazard, but if that's the only way I can get that done, I may have to. But at a certain point, bringing a skilled craftsperson to do that is far more appropriate because the work gets done correctly, professionally, and it avails time for me to do what I need to do. I was, I was reading an article. I just love studying human behavior, uh, perhaps because I just don't understand it. I was reading an article about donations and volunteering. And this argue this this uh, article argued why volunteering is so ineffective, which is shocking because we're all told volunteer, contribute time. They said, imagine you know some nature conservatory uh, invites you to either donate five hundred dollars or donate a day of time to go and build uh, bird houses nests in the woods. What's the better choice? And for most of it, it's just like, you know, the harder choice is to go and volunteer, but it's the most appropriate choice to get out there. And they, the article argued that that's actually the worst choice. Because if you hired, if you paid $300 to a skilled craftsperson that can build birdhouses already, she's now has a source of income for herself. She's doing what she's already good at. The job gets done better and more effectively. And you now the time to go back what you're good and effective and generate more money to hire the next craftsperson for the bird's house. So economically, it makes more sense to donate money for a cause as opposed to volunteer time. They said, unless there's, there's one exception, is if you are a celebrity. You know, if Tom Hanks or Nicole Kidman are building birdhouses, that brings attention to it, right? So that brings a marketing element to the cause. So... To, 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 I'm like, I get really loquacious here, but to, to address bookkeeping, sometimes it's necessitated. As soon as you have the means not to do it, it actually serves your company to bring in a professional every single time. Unless, you, unless you're that weirdo celebrity that by doing bookkeeping, you encourage more people to do bookkeeping, but that's unlikely. It's far better 
ultimately to bring in an expert when you have the means to do it. And your job is to get to the means to doing it. Your job is to organize resources, to make your vision come true, and do less and less work, and ultimately not do the work, design the outcomes. Yes. First and foremost, you must own the financials of the company you own. And at the very beginning, until you can afford to hire a bookkeeper, you are likely the one to do the books. In our construction materials supply business, when we started it 10 years ago, I handled the basic bookkeeping, accounts payables and accounts receivables, as well as the bank reconciliations. And before we were able to hire someone full-time to take over the bookkeeping function, we hired our nanny at the time, who had been with our family for three years to assist with the invoicing. I created a repeatable process for invoicing, documented it, and created a checklist for the individual invoicing to follow to ensure the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted on every invoice. Clearly, I recognize that Nanny Stacy had some entrepreneurial DNA early on. Today, Stacy runs a profitable cake business in Northern Indiana. So she was the right person to do the invoicing. It was simple to follow the steps and involve some tedious data entry because we were adding new product all of the time as we were starting out. We paid Nanny Stacy per invoice and she worked on the invoicing in her spare time. The lesson here and now is that outsourcing does not have to be an all or none solution. If there are aspects you can break out reasonably to a part-timer that does not require much training, then start there to take some of the burdensome tasks off your plate. I used to, and still call it, $10 per hour labor. At first, I was doing the $10 per hour labor in our businesses because I had to. But when I could hire someone at $10 per hour on a part-time basis, I removed those $10 per hour tasks off my plate. Listen, I know most of you, $10 per hour is not even minimum wage, but I have been using this logic and simple math in my head since 1998 when I started my first company. Whatever the entry level rate is in your neck of the woods, that is the value you assign to the tasks that are necessary for your business but are the first things you offload when you can afford it. I offloaded the invoicing, a portion of the bookkeeping, before we could afford to hire a full-time bookkeeper. On episode 16, we talked a bit about the right way to go about hiring an A-player bookkeeper. An A-player is the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace for the given role at the given rate. Remember, we do not pay an A player more than a B or C player. Money does not make an A player, and it certainly does not turn a B player into an A player by paying them more. Please do not hire bookkeepers without testing them, just because they called themselves a bookkeeper. I always ask my kids, what's more important, saying it or doing it? Of course, it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do. Please be weary that a lot of people live by the adage, fake it until you make it. I often see people fall into a position early in their careers, and then they just continue down that path. They end up seeking bigger opportunities. In fact, I cannot tell you how many bookkeeper resumes I've reviewed where the candidates have 15 or more years of experience as a bookkeeper at 10 or more companies with an average tenure of less than a year. 
This is a major red flag, people. Yet ironically, these people continue to get hired as a bookkeeper. God bless her, my former nanny, who side hustled for us in the early days of our company doing invoicing for us. I repeat, just invoicing in QuickBooks. When she moved back to Tennessee for her future husband and sought to begin a professional career, she applied to bookkeeper positions because she had, quote, QuickBooks experience, unquote. Hmm, well, she knew enough to be dangerous, God bless her, but she called herself a bookkeeper because anyone can call themselves a bookkeeper. Spoiler alert, she did get hired as a bookkeeper and it did not end well for her or the company that hired her. Tragically, this is all too often what I see when peeling back the layers of my work with entrepreneurs and diving into their existing bookkeeping operations. The good news is, that we all have to learn somewhere. And sometimes it's simply a case of you don't know what you don't know. This is actually part of the inspiration for this podcast. We are bringing you the ups and downs, the authentic stories of figuring this owning a business thing out because there is no one and no single guaranteed path to getting this right. There may be similarities and lessons you can glean and apply to the entrepreneurial story that is uniquely yours. As I mentioned earlier, Nanny Stacy, some 10 years later now, from her first bookkeeping position, has been properly trained and is a whiz at payroll. She now specializes in this specific aspect of accounting for a school corporation. She also runs a profitable cake business called Mrs. Stacy Cakes in Northern Indiana. In fact, here's a quick Profit First Nation inspiration. Nanny Stacy and I had a pricing conversation in Q1 of this year regarding her business, Mrs. Stacy Cakes, and she raised her prices significantly after that conversation. In fact, the second post on Profit First Nation's Instagram account features some screenshots of a text message from Stacy in the picture carousel, where she shares a picture of one of her beautiful cakes with me and tells me, that she would have previously sold this six-inch cake for $15. But now she sells her six-inch cakes for $40. That's a 266% price increase. And just last week, Nanny Stacy texted me that because she increased her prices, she was able to use her Q2 profit to pay for part of their family beach getaway that they're going on. In my earlier naive days as a 20-something entrepreneur, hiring bookkeepers almost twice my age, I knew nothing about accounting. I thought I could just hire someone with 20 years experience. In fact, I hired someone who worked part-time for a fellow YEOer with rave reviews. Well, come to find out, she screwed up his book so bad, he about lost everything. And a couple of months in with her and my books were on track to being royally messed up. Lessons learned, we now test every candidate. Our recruitment process involves aptitude assessment testing, culture fit, and skills testing. Trust me, just because someone says they type 45 words per minute on their resume does not mean it's true. If they meet the aptitude assessment with a score of 80% or higher against the benchmark for accounting, we schedule them for a screening interview via Zoom. If they pass the Zoom interview, we bring them on site to interview with various members of the team. 
if during the on-site interview, we see they are going to be a possible good fit, we give them an accounting test and also, in our case, a QuickBooks test. If they pass those tests with 90% or higher, then we go into more of the specifics they are going to do on the job and test them there for accuracy and attention to detail on exactly what they would be doing on the job. This is how we weed out B and C players. So we are left with only bringing in the A player candidates to interview on site with our team. In terms of accounting and bookkeeping structure, most in-house bookkeepers should be limited in responsibility to accounts receivables and accounts payable functions in the company. Ideally, along with your bookkeeper handling the day-to-day accounts receivable and accounts payable functions, you will want to also have a part-time controller providing accountability and a check and balance to your bookkeeper. With regards to payroll, payroll can get complicated. We recommend using some sort of payroll service to facilitate the tax calculations and payroll tax reporting and remittances. Even with payroll using a payroll service, there should be some checks and balances with your internal payroll processing and prep. Across all of our companies, I personally review payroll before it is submitted. Once you get to a certain size, we recommend a part-time controller. A part-time controller should be responsible for handling the reconciliation of all of your accounts, not just your bank accounts, but your accounts receivables, accounts payable accounts, etc. The person who handles the day-to-day entries should not handle the reconciliation without any checks and balances. At the minimum, you, the owner, should be the one to open and review all bank statements prior to reconciliation, especially paying close attention to reviewing the canceled checks and the electronic check and ACH payments. We have mentioned this before, and we will continue to harp on this. Do not go paperless. Get your bank statements mailed to you with canceled check imaging. It makes it much easier for you to review. Additionally, your part-time controller should be responsible for your financial statements, closing the books in your system for the month prior and sitting down with you to literally spoon feed you your financials and help you strategize on your planning based on your financials, including your cash flow statements and your profit first allocations dashboard. Since most entrepreneurs are not accountants, it is critical that you have someone to fulfill the controller role who really wants to help you to understand all of the financial aspects of your own company, and someone who will not be afraid to bring you tough news about your business or have uncomfortable conversations with you. I am not an accountant or bookkeeper, but I have had to have uncomfortable conversations with clients. And I had these conversations because they needed to know the truth. And at least I cared enough about them, even though I just started working with them when I uncovered too many insurmountable issues in their financials because they had previously abdicated this portion of their business to a wolf in sheep's clothing, someone calling themselves a bookkeeper who was not a qualified bookkeeper. Another abdication move is assuming your financials are correct because you assume that all bookkeepers know what to do and that they all just do it. It is critical to have your accounting processes documented and what needs to happen detailed out the where, when, why, and how. If someone screws up your books, there is little to no recourse, especially against an employee who called themselves a bookkeeper. 
as the owner, you are the one responsible to the government. And don't get me started on payroll liabilities. If your bookkeeper screws those up, you can go to jail. My favorite question in the whole wide world is asking people, why do airplanes not fall out of the sky? Seriously, commercial airline travel is the safest form of transportation, and there is one reason why it is the safest form of transportation. Airplanes do not fall out of the sky because they follow a checklist. A commercial airline pilot with more than 5,000 hours of flight time experience still follows a checklist for every aspect of their job. Following checklists provides accountability, consistency, and accuracy. In our construction material supply company, we have checklists in our business for various functions, including the receipt of accounts receivables that walks through all of the steps to successfully post the accounts receivables, including sweeping the sales tax dollars collected into our sales tax hold bank account and accounting for the cost of goods sold, as well as accounting for commissions if applicable. We have the check and balance on the checklist to ensure the activity happens at the bank and in QuickBooks. This checklist is stapled to a copy of every check we receive. The checklists also allow us to integrate efficiencies and afford us the ability to batch process work because we can see where each transaction is in the processing steps at any given time and organize like with like steps. Our claims processing business also steadfastly operates with checklists for invoicing clients and payroll processing. And these checklists are not SOPs documented long ago and hidden away somewhere in a folder, again, in a forgotten folder on Dropbox. We either have printed checklists attached and literally check off the work, or as in the case with our claims processing company, the checklists are incorporated into the backup documentation and spreadsheets we use every week to create new voices and prep payroll. Is some of this visible to our clients? Yep. And it serves as a benefit to them as well in terms of a check and balance for them to also monitor. Bestowing massive trust with no accountability or checks and balances on only one person who, by the way, handles all the cash in your business is another form of abdication. And if you haven't caught on when you are the owner and you abdicate your financials, it never, ever ends well. No joke, true story. I was given access to a client's bank account to review canceled checks because their in-house bookkeeper whose only prior accounting experience was working as a payroll clerk and took over the in-house bookkeeper position because they said, I can totally do it after their prior bookkeeper left the organization. And the owner of this profitable multi-million dollar company thought, great, and I trust her. She's already an employee, we know. Long story short, their account's payable account was overdrawn by more than $100,000. In fact, They had been charged more than $24,000 in overdraft fees year to date. What? Why? I guess you could say it was an improvement because in the prior year, they paid $46,000 in overdraft fees. The individual with no bookkeeping experience only cut checks on Wednesdays and cut checks regardless of the available balance in the account. 
another reason why you don't hire someone who says they can do the job of a bookkeeper without testing them. Luckily, this client was profitable despite all of this nonsense, but it was a true wake-up call to the owner. Surprisingly, he actually took responsibility because he knows that as the owner of the business, he's ultimately responsible for his company's books, whether he touches them or not. He blamed himself for not setting the expectation that overdrawing the account is not acceptable. This wake-up call also made the owner realize that by giving the person who writes the checks for the business the signature stamp, he had totally removed any accountability, let alone checks and balances in his accounts payable process. He was totally removed because he never even signed the checks. Again, very lucky that this was caught while he was still profitable and had not been taken to the point of no return, because I've seen that happen too. The tens of thousands in overdraft fees were really profit dollars that seeped out of the business. But the real problem was hiring someone based on their word and not their actions. What matters is not saying it, but doing it. Had this owner tested their payroll clerk prior to handing off the bookkeeping functions to them, they would have known that this individual was not a qualified bookkeeper and should be limited to their current job or be subject to extensive training. Today, this owner knows what is available in their accounts payables account and reviews all of the checks and signs them. Obviously, they have implemented Profit First as their cash management system and now have documented processes with checks and balances. He is even savvy enough to know to pay attention to the check numbers, and when there is one missing, he inquires and makes sure their part-time controller is tracking that missing check number. Another best practice is to keep copies of all voided checks so there is an absolute record as to what happened to the missing check in sequence. As we bring this episode to a close, we do have a valuable best practice checklist corresponding to this episode's topic at ProfitFirstNation.com under resources. Additionally, we have a new opt-in feature when you visit our resources page where you can provide your cell phone number and you will then start to receive all future episode resources sent to you via text on the Thursday that the respective episode comes out. Finally, if you would like to work directly with a certified Profit First professional bookkeeper, accountant, or coach, then again, go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on Contact, where you will be able to connect with a Profit First professional. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friend. Profit First Nation's website, social media accounts, and related podcasts are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professionals.